welcome back to another episode of the Nothing But Nets podcast, the Clutch Points pod. I'm your host, Clutch Points Nets beat reporter Dave Early here as always with my co-host Greg Dennis. Greg, I'm not going to ask how you're doing because the Nets are eliminated and I know that you are uh, sad that they couldn't at least keep the series going a little longer. Yeah, I, I wanted them to get one, but, you know, we we look back now and um, game one, game one really was the nail in the coffin. We knew that was a possibility. They had a shot to get that one, but uh, it was pretty, uh, pretty grim for the most part once we got back to Brooklyn. Do you think if they would have won game one that they would have closed out that, you know, they had a 17 point lead in game two, they had a five point lead going into that fourth. I think, uh, do you think they would have won both in Boston somehow? You know, I think all these games to some degree are connected to one another. And so it's hard to know how the result of one game would have influenced the result of another but I do think if the Nets find a way to win game one, it's definitely a six or seven game series. What would you say was like the problem? I mean, it's, it's unprecedented for Kevin Durant to go out like that. It's unprecedented for Kyrie Irving to go out like that. They both went out like that. What, what happened? How do you put this into perspective for us when you see things like, you know, first time they've ever been swept. No player these this good has ever had such a poor showing. Is this just like a world-class defense? Was something else going on? Was it the cumulative well, load that Durant was playing going back to the Olympics? Put this help us with this. Yeah, I think I think they were pretty big underdogs going into the series. I think if the Celtics go on to make the finals or win the championship, we'll look back and this will all kind of make a little more sense, especially if they run through the East and are never truly challenged. Obviously, I'm looking ahead, but um, it was a horrible matchup for the Nets. They were an inferior team. They had a lot of holes. They were severely undersized. And with all that being said, I mean, yes, I, I think the most shocking thing about the series is not that the Nets lost, and it's not even that they got swept, because when you watch the games, it, it made sense in a lot of ways that they were being swept. What was shocking, though, was Durant being not only outplayed by Jason Tatum, but really getting bullied by the Celtics looking flustered, looking confused, and at times looking helpless. That's something we've never seen before. That's what was really surprising. And that's something where I think is a bigger deal in some ways than Nets losing this series. What are your thoughts? Yeah, both. It was interesting. Both Kevin and Kyrie, after the game, talked about where the NBA is and how good the NBA is. And they both sounded impressed, um, you know, acknowledging how much talent there is in the league and how the players who can dribble are now taller and longer. Kevin pointed out how, like, different times in this series we looked over and we saw 6'2 guys talking about Patty Mills or Goran Dragic defending a seven-footer and just being overmatched at a lot of different positions on the floor – Kyrie Irving had a lot of the same sentiment on how, how skilled the NBA is. And it made me wonder, like, moving forward, is the edge that they've enjoyed over their careers, you know, beginning in 2013 when Irving was in his second year and KD was, you know, had already been to a finals, is the edge that they enjoyed over their competition less so now because the influx of young talent is even greater and they're playing better at an early age than previous generations does that diminish their edge moving forwards? I think that's fair to say, but, you know, again, we want to be clear. This is not the team that anyone was hoping for or envisioned um, playing in the playoffs. There's 
we have to remember, I mean, they're down, they're basically down two starters, right? If you, if you look at the, the theory of the team is that it should be Joe Harris, Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, well, almost and one 50, other guy. Almost $50 million were not in that lineup from Ben Simmons and Joe right, Harris. Right, so, so any team missing two starters, one perennial all-NBA player, all-star, and I get it, you know, who knows what's going on with Ben Simmons. We'll get into that, I'm sure. But Ooh. let's remember they 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 were <laughs> they were missing two starters. That said though, yeah, I mean, like if you're you know, Kevin Durant is gonna be 34 next year. We've never seen him look like this. And so I think it's fair to to look ahead and say, you know, let's take for instance the team they just played. Um you know, well, would would you take Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant over Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown moving forward? I would say no. And that's, you know, that's one of the teams that you're going to have to go through. So it's fair to say like, oh, okay, should, should we reassess this team's, um, how sure we are about their contention, you know, about their window, about where they rank in the hierarchy in the East and in the league for that matter. I think those are fair questions to ask. Yeah. I mean, I was taken aback hearing you say it, but I think I agree with you. I would take the Celtics duo over the Nets duo moving forwards because if if you're ballparking a four-year window, it feels like a safer bet that they're going to continue to ascend and that, and the Nets duo might get worse. So well, I mean, we just watched Tatum severely outplay Durant. Uh, we watched we watched Tatum block multiple jump shots of Durant, and I'm not saying that Tatum can shut him down one on one or anything like that. I'm just saying I've never seen anyone block multiple Durant jump shots, and I, I just watched it. So, um, and 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 you know that took nothing away from Tatum's game on offense. So. I think if you're projecting moving forward, you take the two 25 and younger uh, two-way players, one who's ascended to probably top five in the league, the other one who's kind of like the perfect number two next to him. And so, yeah, I think uh, Celtics took a lot of heat for standing pat, year, you know, the last four or five years when guys would become available, whether it was Paul George, Anthony Davis, Jimmy Butler, but uh, you know, they're being rewarded for just kind of saying like, Nope, we're, we're good. We're just gonna, we're just gonna ride these two and build around them for the next uh, 10 to 15 years. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a lot of people who were happy to throw the book at Danny Ainge for never breaking out the coffers of the war chest never cashing in all those picks. And I was, I was one who said, you know, they're an example of if you hoard all those picks and you actually use them, there's a good chance you're going to lose a ton of value because you're not going to hit on all of them. You know, some of the guys that the, Romeo Langford, um, what's the name of the shooter who wasn't in the rotation uh, that they just got. Uh, you know what I mean? Just, um, yeah, no, no. But, I mean, Picks, picks are assets until you use them. Yeah. And uh, once you use them, then it's anyone's guess a lot of times. And, and the Celtics have had misses. But I think uh, you look at the 2016 draft. Neesmith. Jalen Brown. Neesmith. There you go. 2016 draft, Jalen Brown goes third. 2017 draft, Tatum goes third. And, you know, you're probably taking both of those guys, number one. And if you read it, although, you know, Brandon Ingram has played really well. So I don't know, but we'll see. Don't want to get too, uh, too, too uh, crazy on the Celtics. They still have a ways to go. But as far as the Nets, I think main concern is just, you know, what we just watched with Durant. Um, I think most people just assumed he was good to win one or two playoff games anywhere against any team, and that, that wasn't the case. 
Yeah. Um, a lot of people are zooming out and they're, you know, they're referendums against super teams and all that. So I want to ask you about that. But first, let's talk a little bit about Steve Nash, Coach Nash. When you lose a first round series and get swept, there's a good chance your head coach does not get another chance. Um, now, Mark Stein has come out and said he does not think Steve Nash is going to be a fall guy. Kevin Durant has come out before the playoffs and after the elimination and basically said, come on, man, Steve was dealt a wild hand. And so he's defended the, the road and the hand that Nash was dealt, referencing obviously myriad injuries, trades, no continuity in the lineup at any point since he's been a head coach. Of course, he's a second-year head coach. Um, so it's very difficult to give a fair evaluation of him on the other hand, if Joe Sy and Sean Marks just said, yes, you're right, 100%. However, we don't need to worry about that because now we can go grab, I don't know who, Quinn Snyder, Mike D'Antoni, uh, and just because we feel that whatever Nash is going to be, whatever hand he was dealt, this guy's going to be better than that. Um, but so far, it does not sound like Nash is going to get the ax. Uh, I do think... Kevin Durant plays a big factor. And if Kevin Durant wants Steve Nash back and who knows if he was just saying that maybe he wasn't, maybe he's behind closed doors when he sits down with Sean Marks and Sean Marks lists off four possible alternatives. Kyrie Irving weighs in on that. He'll change his mind. But I would say that the chances that Steve Nash is back next year are better by the hour here. I mean, if you don't get fired in the first few days after a series like that, chances are at least okay. What do you think of the job Nash did? and the whole discourse on whether or not he's not the guy or should be back. Yeah. I think when Katie came out right after they lost and vouched for Steve Nash, I think that tells us all we need to know. He's, he's coming back. But do, would you, and, what if I said he didn't vouch hardcore? What if he just mm -hmm. said it's too tough to evaluate him, but that's not saying like he's the very best man for this job moving forward. You know, he, there were other ways he could have gone with that. Yeah, I mean, if, if he would have deflected the question, then I'd say, let's wait and see. Right. Uh, and nothing will shock me. Yep. Um, but the fact that the fact that he came out in support of him and adding to everything he said where, you know, this was a, a completely ridiculous season with unprecedented circumstances where, you know, they never really had the team they wanted, the Harden fiasco, the Ben Simmons fiasco. Wait, why is that? Fiasco? I just think, like, <laughs> I just think, you know, there's no, there's no reason. There's, there's nothing he's done that you say, like, okay, you know, we got to get rid of him. Now, is he an elite coach? Is he a great tactician? Are there things that maybe, you know, he needs to do to improve? Of course, absolutely. And I mean, I do wonder if, um, you know, they'll bring in some, some help, maybe assistant coaches or people to sort of delegate certain parts of the coaching process. I could see that. I'll tell but you this. When they, when they lost Mike D'Antoni as an assistant, I didn't feel better about their coaching staff. When they lost no, Ime Udoka, <laughs> I didn't feel better. Yeah, right. I think that's fair. I, I do want to bring this up because I, I found this to be noteworthy and interesting. And maybe it's nothing, but maybe it's something. Kyrie Irving, in his press conference after the game, he reiterated his desire to sign long-term with the Nets and remain with the team. And he mentioned helping to sort of govern the team, watch over, the, you know, sort of, be at, at the top, and he mentioned uh, three other guys. He mentioned Durant, he mentioned the owner, Joe Sy, and he mentioned Sean, Sean Marks. Marks. And then, and then the next he one he did, mentioned was Ben Simmons. Okay, he did not mention Steve Nash. Yeah, yeah, he mentioned KD. Now, I want to build with seven. I, I, I didn't, you know, with Kyrie, you never know, but it felt like a glaring omission. It, it just, like, why why would you name the owner, the GM, your co-star, 
but not the head coach. And Ben. As some and ben, and ben for that matter. So we can we can chalk this up to just Kyrie kind of, you know, just speaking on a whim somewhere out of the side of his mouth, not really thinking about, you know, who he's leaving out. Or you could say he didn't feel the need to mention Steve Nash. So I'll ask you, do we read into that or is that much to do about nothing? Because if I'm Steve Nash, I'm kind of I'm kind of insulted. I I didn't um, think much about it at the time, but hearing you bring it up, yeah, you know, I did think of it. But hearing you bring it up, I I do think it was a glaring omission. Um, having covered Kyrie all year, I do think he's a, a, a very intelligent guy. I think he's very aware. I thought it his astuteness and sharpness was on display the other day. Like, I don't know if he heard the entire post game three comments by Blake Griffin. Um, but he was asked, you know, Blake, I think it was Ian Begley asked and Blake talked about this team lacking spirit. Do you agree with that? And he, he kind of quickly put the entire thing in context for us. He realized if I co-sign Blake, I'm throwing my coach under the bus. Cause that's exactly what Blake was doing. Because Blake Griffin, by the way, showed that he should have been in the rotation and Steve Nash was not optimizing the rotations. Andre Drummond was like, I don't know, was he a minus 60 in 25 minutes in that series? Clearly not the right fit for that one. And Blake was a better fit. And maybe if they played Blake in game one, they win that one. And who knows how this series looks, yada, yada, yada. Kyrie assessed all that and he said, well, you know, Blake basically has an ax to grind. He wasn't in the rotation and he should feel a certain way about it but I don't necessarily agree with the spirit. I think it's about a team that hasn't had a chance to gel. He took one on the chin for not being available. He said, I feel bad about that. I think it was a distraction. Um, so I think Kyrie Sharp. So when he does say something like, I want to build this with seven, I want to build this with Joe and Sean, and he leaves out Steve, that it is possible that Steve being in his long-term plans is not a necessity to him. I think if you felt like it's not a necessity Maybe that's increased after hearing him say that or hearing him not say that omission then commission, right? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think even if it was a unconscious omission, um, it's still, it's still revealing. And again, if I'm Nash, I'm like, look, I defended this guy at every turn. I have, you know, tried to, I've tried to basically, you know, get this team from some really dark times when Kyrie was not there or unavailable. I've answered hundreds of questions about the guy and never once have I even insinuated that he was a distraction to the team or you know, anything other than a guy we can't wait to bring back into the fold. So if I hear that, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm raising an eyebrow. Now, that's, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was just kind of Kyrie thinking, okay, the, the best player in the team and the front office. That's just where his mind went. But uh, I thought it was interesting. All right. We brought up the elephant a couple times. Let's talk a little bit about Ben Simmons. <laughs> ben Simmons. Yeah. Uh, he never made it back. Apparently, he was targeting a game four return at one point, but after feeling a uh, flare up in his back on Sunday, he was ruled out by Sunday evening and did not play. There are reports. Uh, I think it's Shams Charan. Well, Brian Winhorse said that some of the Nets were exasperated upon learning that he, his back was sore again. Shams Charani has talked about um, the Nets maybe feeling a certain way that Ben didn't push himself. He wasn't on that bench. Um, there was a meeting. Adrian Wojnarowski reported that Ben Simmons and his camp, Rich Paul, his representation met with Sean Marks, and they talked about how there was um, – feelings stemming back to that game seven in Philly that has is related to his back pain now. So the whole, the mental health issues, which we did not hear anything about 
once the trade happened, and I suppose everyone figured that's in the rear view. His mental health issues was related to Philly, and once he got traded, he was going to be happy. There were reports that he was crying. He was so happy it happened, but then the back. But now it's not just the back. There are mental and physical hurdles, um, and maybe some of the Nets feeling a certain way about that. Kyrie Irving went on the record right after the game and saying, we never felt there was never any pressure on Ben from us that he had to play. Uh, take that for what it's worth. He said, we got a franchise player back in that trade. We didn't get a chance to see him play. Kevin and I are cornerstones. We, we got Ben, we got Ben's back and we're going to work on this. We're using all the haters as fuel. So take everything for what it's worth. And give me your, give me your current feelings on Ben. Now was uh, you know, there's so many different angles and different ways to look at this and approach it. And as always, there are a lot more questions than answers. But I do, I do believe the reports that the Nets were disappointed that he didn't give it a try. I don't think uh, anyone wanted him to put himself at risk or, you know, play through a really bad injury. I think that they probably had a feeling that it would go a long way for him and the team and the franchise to just see him out there and to experience his first in-game action in over 10 months. And he obviously was on board with that to some extent as we approached game four. And so I think when he kind of pulled the rug out right before the game, I think a lot of people were probably just more disappointed than anything. And also, uh, you know, wondering like, what, what are the ramifications of, of this kind of story within the larger story of Ben Simmons, you know, sitting out a whole season, Ben Simmons backtracking on playing when he said he was going to play. And, you know, I mean, <clears throat> all that being said, people went too far. People uh, definitely reacted with a level of insensitivity and vitriol that, I think went beyond what we normally see. And I was surprised about that. It, it, it did seem to kind of go out of bounds at times. I know Stephen A. Smith had some things to say that was like circulating, going viral. Reggie uh, Miller told him to man up. Shaq said it's a punk move. Stephen A. is worse right. than <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, you know, you forget, you know, it's like – do you think do you think Ben Simmons like envisioned his career going this way? Do you think he wanted this to happen? Of, of course not. Um, but you know, whatever it is, I, I don't know what percentage of it is physical or mental or how one bleeds into the other. But um, I think everyone was just kind of really hoping that he could take the next step on this journey to kind of rehabilitate himself and getting back on the court and wasn't able to do it. And so now we go into another offseason, and he'll have sat out a whole year uh, because of whatever happened. And I think, you know, looking back on this saga, there's just a lot of um, mishandling, regrets from multiple people, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not over, unfortunately. So I don't know. What was your, what was your talk? What was your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you that much of the discourse has been wildly unfair. I mean, if you, if you believe that he had mental health issues and I a hundred percent do, it doesn't make sense to challenge his manhood to me call him a punk, tell him the man up, call him a wuss, because that's not what that stuff's about. You could be a very brave and bold person, blah, blah, blah. So and that's, that's not even half of it because the first part is, do you, do you not believe that he really had a herniated disc? Because if you don't believe that, then you're calling a lot of the very best reporters, uh, Shams, Woj, the Nets are all part of this cover-up, and it just doesn't make any sense to me. So if you believe he had the herniated disc, which corroborates with the fact that he was going to miss half the season in 2020, then who cares what you wanted from him? Who cares if you wanted him to make an effort? The truth is that the smart move was for him to not play. So any thinking on his part 
or anyone else's part that arrived on that at that decision was the right decision. Because if he sat out for 10 straight months, not playing basketball, and he was so physically uncomfortable that he couldn't even fly with this team, that he was going to progress through performance staff protocol in six days with six practices of three on three and four on four, and then get out there in an elimination game. If he had any kind of setback on that Sunday and played through that and forced himself to need a procedure a few days later that could complicate not only his entire offseason, but for the rest of his career, then thank goodness nobody pushed him too hard because it was never the right move. It was always crazy. And anyone who's calling him a wuss for doing that just doesn't understand back issues. The two most complicated things you can have, mental health issues and back issues, and this poor kid has both. So terrible. I mean, have all the ramifications you want about the trade and how you should have kept James Harden and dared him to leave by dropping too much money on him this offseason. The trade didn't work out, but I think the primary reason it didn't work out is because Ben Simmons' back issue flared up, not about the mental health issues. So let me let me pu- push back for a second on that because, um, you know, the the skeptic is going to zoom out, look at the entire picture over the last year, guy who didn't want to play, who has had mental health issues, and I agree that they're very real and that they we don't know exactly how they're happening, but. He wants to play in game four. He's planning to get playing game four. He's ramping up. The team is obviously monitoring whatever imaging and diagnostics there are of his back, and they've cleared him to play. And the well, day I, don't, before, I don't know that he was ever actually cleared to play. He was cleared for contact in practice. Well, I mean, the team was going to let him play if he wanted to play. Yeah, so they let's that, assume they put that on him. Right. So, so I'm assuming that they're not saying, like, we need to protect you from yourself here. We, this could be a disaster. You can't play. We're looking at your scans. You're not supposed to be playing basketball. So I'm just saying the fact that he wakes up the day before he's targeted to return. And by the way, there's reports out today that he told them that essentially he believes his back pain is triggered to some extent by – mental or emotional issues that date back to last year's playoffs. So I guess what I'm saying is if it's not strictly a black and white issue with his back, if it's not a physical thing, is the team in the wrong for wanting him to push himself a little, give it a shot and just kind of get over that hump. If the team did feel that way, I guess I would ask, who? I mean, if Sean Marks wanted that, it's different than if Bruce Brown wanted that, right? If, if Sean Marks didn't want that, that would make some sense because if it's 3 nothing, and you're wondering if this guy's going to be part of a championship run for you in the future or if you're wondering if you can trade him in July, then it makes sense that you'd have the incentive you don't want him to play. Now, if, if Bruce Brown and Patty Mills and Marcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin are all going to shams and saying, yeah, we wanted him to give it a shot, that to me is a lot different than Steve, Steve Nash or the front office and Joe Sy. So I guess I, I, I kind of took away from the reports and I could be wrong, but no one did anything to, to refute it is that people in, you know, in the front office of the organization probably would have liked to have seen them just give it a shot in good faith, at least dress for the game, go out there for five minutes, break a sweat, um, you know, no, no one's come out and basically said, uh, yeah, like there's no way Ben should have played. And, and they certainly didn't shut it, shut it down beforehand when he was targeting it. And like we said, I mean, the reports are out today that he, Rich Paul, Ben Simmons, that they spoke with the front office and indicated that, you know, there's, there's more to it than just kind of herniated disc black and white. Right. So I think that's where it gets this gray area where should we expect him to play? Is it fair to criticize him for not? Um, I don't I don't know the answer to that, but I can I can sympathize with his teammates and the team and the coach and the front office kind of just being like. Get out there, give it a shot. You know, at some point, you've got to take this leap. And also, I imagine that there could be some thinking, 
but the longer you wait, the harder it gets, you know, and sometimes we all have something like that in our life where you're putting it off. You don't want to do it. You feel tremendous resistance. And most of the time when that's the case, you do it and it's a, it's a huge release. It's a huge relief and it's not quite as bad as you had envisioned. Yeah, I guess, I guess I would say my official position is no, it's not fair for them to want him to push through that because of the back issue, regardless if it's black and white or not. If, if he has part of his reason for not playing is because mental health says, you know, there's something stressful about being out there then that works in his favor because he shouldn't have played through the back injury if he couldn't even get two weeks of practicing first. And so if someone feels you let us down by not suiting up and trying to play through that back pain with a herniated disc, that's not fair. Can I understand it? Yes, that's different to me. I I can understand that frustration. You're a competitor. You want to win and keep your season alive. Maybe if you're a coach, you want to keep your job and you feel that this guy could turn around your fortunes. I'm a 30-year-old, 33-year-old, one of the best players of all time chasing another ring. If Kevin Durant was frustrated, I can relate to all that. And even though I don't think it's fair for them to actually expect him to do it. And Kevin knows this better than anyone else, because part of the reason he was frustrated with the Golden State Warriors, it was reported was that he felt they let him come back and play through an injury that he should not have played on. So if anyone could understand that there should have been more of the team taking a stance and saying, no, he's out. We don't care if he's ready to go. We're going to protect him. Uh, it would be Durant himself. Not, not to take yeah. away any of the complications from all that other stuff that, yeah, maybe if Ben was healthy enough to play in March 15th, that would have been great because it's good to, to get that out and just get some games under your belt. And I think in an ideal world, that would have been the case. And there was no back flare up and he just played. I hear what you're saying. Uh, you certainly don't want a guy to play with a – compromising back injury i'm left feeling as though based on the reports based on everything based on the timing of him deciding not to play that this was not totally a a calculation of can he physically go that they had determined that he could go that he um you know very well probably could have played no one stepped in to say you shouldn't play, don't play, you know, you have to have a certain scan on your back, MRI. It was more, um, and, 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 you know, he seems to be acknowledging that, that, you know, you're not, you're not hearing um, Ben Simmons has still has a herniated disc. You're not hearing Ben Simmons is uh, trying to calm down a nerve issue in his back. What we're hearing is that his back hurts. He believes it's linked to some sort of trauma that he experienced over the last year. And I think that whatever the confusion is, this is all new stuff. I think, Um, you know, I can't imagine if we were going through this in the nineties or the early two thousands, what the reaction would have been. Well, some of these former um, players who start in the nineties are having this reaction. That seems like it's still there. Like yeah, tough. exactly. It's it's interesting to see. Like it's it's not surprising at all. It's the same guys that are telling um, big men not to shoot threes. Yeah, <laughs> because that's not how they played. They're basically the ones saying that uh, you know they, they they just can seem to not understand at all what's going on. Um, you know, just hope that uh, whatever the issue is, he's out there the first game of the season next year and we can finally see what this looks like yeah um i see i think we talked about this over the prior couple weeks i think the nets as an organization's willingness to allow him expedited performance protocol creates some of this false safety feeling you know you're saying no one is talking about how the Nets are saying he shouldn't have been allowed to play, but they were extraordinarily careful with Kevin Durant's MCL sprain to the point where they said, you have to do high intensity one on O, then one on one, then two on two, three on three, all the way up to basically a full week's worth of full high intensity, three on three full high intensity, five on five practices before you can play. 
because we want you to be comfortable. And there are many arguments to be made for that being a far less dangerous with less long-term ramifications on a player's career than a herniated disc. So that the Nets were willing to forego so much of that to allow him to get back out there to play. I don't think we should take that to mean they felt he was totally fine. I think they meant they felt he's a combination of fine and the season is on the line to skip what we would always normally do. And that's why I'm, I'm I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think, you know, they probably felt some pressure themselves. I mean, they, they made a calculated risk with this trade. They traded James Harden. And I have to ask, you know, um, that was obviously a demarcation point of the season where they decided it wasn't worth going forward with James Harden, risking losing him for nothing. Some combination of that and some combination of actually just liking the trade at face value. But if they kept Harden, who is clearly not James Harden that we all remember. He's not even you as know, whatever, good in Philly as he was in Brooklyn. That's right. Whatever, you know, we were trying to figure out what combination was him, the role in the team versus the hamstring versus the client. I think to some extent we, you know, whatever it is, this was not him totally dogging it in Brooklyn. He's just, he's just, you know, not who he was plain and simple. So with that said, if you take this version of James Harden and you put him on the nets, um, do they beat this Celtics team? And if not, how many games does this series go? They wouldn't Let's have played. They never make yeah, that trade. So they wouldn't have played the Celtics. Curry. They wouldn't ever play the Celtics. That's right. But but okay. So are they are they a contender? Maybe that's where we start. Yeah, I think they they would have had a chance for that five seed that the Raptors got. Maybe the six seed. So they might be playing the Bucks. Who who knows what would happen with Chris Middleton's knee if they were playing the Nets? They could be playing the Sixers who look eminently beatable, especially after Joel got hurt. But if Joel wasn't hurt, who knows? But they went in and throttled the Sixers in Philly. And there's plenty of reasons not to trust that team. So, yeah, I think the, uh, I think the Nets, if they had not made the trade, would be in a very different position. And if James Harden was trying to get out now, because he didn't want to be with the Nets for some, somehow, you'd still have some of the options you had. Who knows? you would not want to take the deal because it came to light that Ben Simmons had a backflare while trying to ramp up and play for the Sixers. There's a million ways you could look at this, but yeah, they, they would have been better. Well, let's off. say they eventually, they eventually run into the Celtics team um, who just swept them, but they have James Harden. They have Kyrie, they have Durant and, you know, they don't have Seth Curry and Drummond, which I think, you know, they could have survived with that. Is, is there any way they're beating the Celtics team, or they would have not. They I think you, they would have beat them. All right, there you go. Yeah. So then, <laughs> if that's if that's the case, then I hate to say it, but they made a huge miscalculation. Yeah, I mean it's a bold thing to say, given the way the series played out. Kevin Durant admitted after the game that Seth Curry came over with an ankle injury, which I thought was interesting. He's basically saying we we got mm. some damaged goods with Seth. Um, yeah. Andre was not really playable in that series. The move was apparently Claxton and Griffin, maybe Aldridge who never played. Um, but yeah, it's, it's when I watch game one, two, and one of either three or four, I think this team lost a point guard. That was what Harden was. Harden is not who he was before the injury, but he certainly wouldn't have had to have been in order to unlock better versions of KD and Kyrie and avoid some of those like countless lost possessions where they, they had no point guard, they had no one to initiate. Kevin Durant, Marcus Smart talked about it. Like, if we've got him thinking this much, we've already done our jobs. KD didn't know what to do. He's like anticipating a double. So that the times when they didn't double in pressure and shadow, he's passing or shooting too early anyway because he thinks it's coming. I mean, they had him on the ropes. And I think Harden could have really kept everything calm for them so yeah they messed up there really missed that guy and would that have bit them going forward if Harden left them for nothing might have forced Daryl Morey to use the picks that he 
gave to Brooklyn to give to the Thunder to take Tobias and try to sign him outright and yada, yada, yada. But uh, whew, sure could have used some like not that scary hours just to, just to be better than they were. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, every time James Harden gets traded, uh, whether whatever you think of him, the team that trades him um, comes Except down Houston. again. Except Houston. <laughs> I mean, they are the worst team in the league since he left. Yeah, but that's a win. Now, yeah, I guess I guess they want that. But um, yeah, it's it's just interesting how how uh, if they had to do it over, you wonder what the conversations would be. Yeah, I would just if they had to do it over, I would say, you know what, Ben Simmons is not going anywhere. I'll talk to you this summer. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, and and that's a far cry from where we were a few weeks ago when we were saying Seth Seth Curry and Andre Drummond alone are playing half of the value Harden's giving Philly, and we don't even have Ben in yet. So um, they'll have chances. Yeah, and it's it's not as if the Sixers are made out like bandits here. I mean, no Harden uh, Harden looks completely shot. He's uh, you know, he just kind of looks like the old guy in the pickup games that you can tell used to be awesome. Uh, yeah, still someone, helps someone your text team. Me like, make... Someone texted me, did the Sixers and Nets trade lemons for lemons? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, you mentioned Nick Claxton. I think he probably cost himself a lot of money this series. You think so? Uh, well, I mean, he just could, he just couldn't hit. He had one of the worst free throws shooting series I've ever seen. I don't know what he finished, but it just seemed like he missed every foul shot. And uh, you know, when you're a guy like that trying to secure a payday, I, I know teams look at that because that's basically where he adds value as an offensive player. If he's screen and roll, lobbing, getting fouled, and he just. I mean, he just couldn't hit a foul shot. Yeah, one of five, one of four, one of two, one of 11 in each game. Kept getting worse. Clearly, uh, oh no, one of 11 was in the, f- yeah, yeah, I read that right. Uh, chronological order, terrible. So Ben Simmons can certainly relate to that, and he might have cost himself some money. A guy who did not was Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown looks like he's probably going to get paid. He's probably going to get paid by these Nets because I think they love him. I think he's part of the heart and soul of that locker room. Seems like a guy who has done everything they've asked and much more. So I do expect him to stick around. But he also revealed that, like, you can't feel feel great when he's your third best player and he's going to be guarding Jalen Brown. So uh, they're a small team. They they could use some help in the wing and the front court. And uh, I'm not sure where they're going to turn for that. I'm not sure what Ben Simmons is going to provide next season. Purportedly, theoretically, he'll be back and he'll – provide great defense on the wing, but then you wonder if you're going to pair him with another big because he doesn't defend the five spot that well. You could really use like a Covington. You and I talked about trading an injured Joe Harrison picks for him at one point. Uh, I know the money was difficult to make work, but man, would that have been good moving forwards? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel hesitant to project anymore what Ben Simmons will look like, how he will look next to these guys. I, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I'm at the point now where it, it just feels like, okay, I mean, is he going to, is he going to be the guy we remember? I just don't know. So yep. that being said, there's been a lot of doom and gloom. A lot of people just absolutely crushing the nets piling on i i feel like the conversation around Kyrie has been unfair all year i feel like it's very unfair now that people are sort of looking back and saying well of course i mean they had no continuity Kyrie irving was selfish um i i just feel like people are people are acting like we weren't all in unprecedented circumstances over the last season and uh, I, I would just say it's not it's not all bad for the Nets. I mean, they're going to come back next year, and if they have their team, they're going to be one of a few teams that can win the entire thing. 
And as soon as they're rolling next year, all this will be forgotten. But it does seem like uh, a lot of people nationally are really enjoying the Nets kind of uh, going up in flames. So, you know, it'll be a long off season, but I think the future is still bright. I really do. Was it Arnovitz who wrote a piece like a referendum on super teams? You're better off with like a homegrown talent than a super team. And I know Nick's, Nick's Twitter has taken a, a massive victory lap that they are better off not having gotten Katie and Kyrie in 2019. Our own text buddy circuit, which has some Knicks fans on it, was joining in on that lap to say like the, the Nets had bad process. They shouldn't have done it this way. And I, I don't agree with that idea. I think um, anytime you can just accept a super team who wants to play for you, that's the, by far the best turnaround you can have in sports. I mean, what are you going to say? No thanks to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They would have went to the Knicks. And then they'd be the team vying for titles, one toe on the line away from maybe knocking off the reigning champs. It took injuries to both James Harden and Kyrie for them to maybe not win a title last year. And if they were defending their crown this year and got swept by the Celtics, would anyone really care? Because flags fly forever. Banners fly forever over your stadium rest. So I, I don't think that it's fair to say that the Nets messed up in this team building. If you wanted to go in on them for betting on James Harden and maybe there was something you could have predicted with his hamstrings, okay, maybe Jared Allen, blah, blah, blah. Maybe the James Harden for Ben Simmons trade. Plenty of cr fair criticism there, but like betting on KD and Kyrie and expecting them to have predicted a pandemic that Kyrie wouldn't get vaccinated against, <laughs> it's just, come on. Totally agree. Um, I mean, I almost feel like people don't even acknowledge that Durant didn't even play the first year. So it's been three years, but Durant sat out the first year in its entirety. So, um, and he was better you know, than I ever could have this... imagined when he came back. Exactly. Exactly. And so you look back at this team three years ago, they were playing the Sixers in the first round with D'Angelo Russell, Karis Levert. What about the Jared year before Allen. that? They were like, they had zero wins and their best player was going to the Celtics. That's, that's, the, that's, the, draft, that's right. the draft pick. That's right. So, I mean, you look at them now, I don't think anyone would trade it for where they were, even though the vibes around that team seem to be a lot more positive or at least the coverage. But um, yeah, Kenny Atkinson's culture. <laughs> right, right. I think I think the Nets, you know, will probably make a few offseason moves and they are still you trading, have... are you trading Joe Harris? Are you bundling a couple of those Sixers picks? Are you are you gonna use your draft pick from the Sixers? You figure on draft day, you have to decide by I think June first what you're gonna do with the I'm actually I'm I'm going the other way on Joe Harris. I feel like if his value to the team actually went up because I think that you know, you saw they, they struggled. Um, I, I, I think the team kind of underperforming. If anything, maybe they look at it and say, like, well, you know, we, we really could have used Joe Harris. Um, I do think they'll be aggressive. They're obviously in win-now mode. So if, if they can improve the team, I think they'll do it. And the choice of the team. Sixers 2022 pick this year, which I guess would be in the mid-20s, or um, do you defer and take the trade value of the 2023 and its unknown value and hope maybe Harden leaves in free agency, maybe they get an injury, maybe Harden or Embiid gets hurt next year and the Sixers just aren't good at all and that pick goes way up in value and by Thanksgiving or Christmas, you have a really juicy asset. What would you do with that pick? Woj has already said, like, it's a trade asset. They're not just going to draft a rookie and play him. Yeah, it's a tough call. I mean, the Sixers won 51 games this year. I assume they'll be somewhere in that range next it's already, year. It's already decided. Oh, okay. Yeah, next year. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I could see that going either way. Um, Full order. But right now the pick is... Where do they finish? 23. 23. So, 
I don't, I don't think there's a lot of risk in deferring it a year. I mean, no. you know, it, it seems like maybe, maybe you just uh, kind of wait it out. I mean, 23 out of 30, I don't know. There's not, there's a limited downside from there, you know? I think on draft day, before the draft, that 2022 pick is going to be worth more than the 2023 pick. But once you make a selection, if you're hoping that there's a buy low player, if you wanted to trade Joe Harris and a, and a player you just drafted and try to get in on Miles Turner, who could maybe protect the rim for you a little bit better, for example, something like that, you'd probably be better off with the 2023. Because once you have a player in tow who's not in your rotation, there's not going to be a ton of value there. And you'd rather wait anyway for some of these veterans to become available. Like Robert Covington went for absolute peanuts. And I, I looked at that as a Nets fan. And I was like, how did we not wind up with him for, you know, the Clippers got him for like nothing. Totally agree. I think, I think you made a good point. Um, the 2023 20, just offers more as far as potential and unknowns, which when you're kind of packaging it in a deal, I could see where that'd be more enticing to other teams. Yeah, I mean, if Harden just walked in free agency, suddenly that 2023 pick is really juicy. Which, by the way, not impossible. I mean, if they blow an 0-3 lead, maybe he just says, like, you know what? I don't need the, uh, I don't need to dig out of this hole that we've dug. <laughs> I just start over somewhere else again. What if, what if uh, Sean Marks took the two picks the Sixers gave and Ben Simmons and cleared a max and signed Harden outright? Traded Ben to Oklahoma. <laughs> what if they just traded back and said, "You know yes. what? I, yes, I, I, I miss my I miss my whole problem." <laughs> yes, the, the perfect way to end the pot. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. It was a win win at the time. Greener. It was an absolute win win at the time, and now it's an absolute win win to go back. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that's that's the perfect place to end this. All right. Do you want to do a sad? Crying Brooklyn chant to close us out. <laughs> All right, Greg. Thanks for joining as always. Great stuff. Look forward to seeing how our um, our marketing staff promotes your your fire quotes. Yeah, Ben Harden. Ben for Harden, the sequel. They Let's put they it. put out All there. Right. Greg said, if I had to bet, I would not <laughs> bet on Ben Simmons playing. So hopefully, someone took your advice. Well, hope someone made money on that. All right, take care.